This is the InterVR Podcast. I'm Chris Miranda, your host. And today I'm joined by Oz Balabanian. Oz is the creator of the Research VR Podcast and the founder of Oz, Oz, Oz Ducks. That's right. Um, and Oz, you, sir, are a true scholar in terms of virtual reality who've been on the show before. Thank you so much for joining me again. I can't wait. It's going to be so much fun. Good to see you, Chris. No, it's, this is awesome coming back on InterVR, which... Actually, it was probably the first podcast I've ever participated in or actually been on and featured and, and, you know, been a guest on. And also, I'd say it was probably the primary reason to why I even started the Research VR podcast is it's probably started like a week or two after we did our, our show. So thank you, Chris, for, uh, for interviewing me on there and then inspiring me to actually start a VR podcast. Thank you for going out there and doing that thing, man. Honestly, it's 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 this is what this is what I do. I like I like getting connected with people who are fucking awesome, who are willing to do things that others aren't, and they get out there and produce value. And you're one of them people. So thank you so much for like even giving me a chance to be on the show. So thanks, man. Yeah, yeah I appreciate it. Yeah, you, you interviewed me, and then at at one point when you did your hundred hour VR challenge, um, I thought that was a kind of an interesting pilot study to to dig into and see what you know what happened to you what um what did you experience so we did an episode with you on that um so that was really fun i still i keep referencing back to like some of the effects that you told me about with the with your eyes darting to like the the corners and the sharp edges and the weird peripheral all, all your peripheral vision was like black from the the you know the the hmds basically fov really setting your vision after you took off your headset and <laughs> yeah that screen door burning into my retina was really something i gotta say and and i honestly you know i'll uh, there's things about that experience that i'll never forget you know and and one of them just feeling like having this notion that i was part of the never-ending story like that book that movie like i felt mm. like i was sucked right into a whole new universe and i was 
you know, for a whole week in there. And just, I wasn't a human. I was something else. I was some sort of, you know, digital traveler <laughs> inside of the metaverse. <laughs> and it was and it was insane. But let's talk about you because we got a lot sure. to cover. Um, sure. So tell, tell the audience, what are you up to? What keeps you busy these days? So I guess I'll start with the podcast a bit. Um, so, the, yeah, the Research VR podcast is, I, I call it the, the podcast behind the science and design of virtual reality. Um, so those are the two topics that we really like to um, nerd out on and kind of like dig into, you know, what are what's the interesting neuroscience principles that we can use um, to learn from as game developers and to integrate into VR experiences to not only like, you know, make things more comfortable or make things more accessible, but actually like really going into radical design ideas and pulling things from the real world to to shape the the companies that we can even you know the products that we can create now. Um, that's that's kind of like my big grand vision for what the the value that the the podcast can hopefully provide. Um, we've been doing it for about a two and a half years. Um, it started with three cognitive scientists, including me. Um, one of them has since kind of gone AWOL into his PhD, and uh, so we're we're carrying on the torch without him. Uh, so it's it's the two co-hosts are Peter and I. And um, we do everything. Actually, we host the podcast in VR using big screen. So we have all our guests join in in VR as well. Um, we don't broadcast it yet in terms of like having a live audience, but it's mostly so that um, I mean, you know, this you do your podcast over the Internet as well. It's really hard to control for mics and like expect people to have microphones in their houses to do podcasts. Um, and what I found is that the VR headsets, especially the Rift, the voice quality that you can get from that is pretty decent. So um, we we are like, oh, if, you know, if every single guest has a microphone on their headset, then why don't we just use that instead? And on top of that, big screen provides, you know, like a shared screen that you can pull up links, videos, uh, whatever you're talking about on. And um, that ends up becoming like a TV that we are, we're all sitting around and, and whatever we're referencing, we can pull up visually and um, discuss them. Wow, that's super cool. Have you found yeah. yourselves... So how does it change the dynamic of the conversation when now you have uh, something that you can pull up instantly and, and, and have something that you can visualize right in front of you versus, you know, versus you and I right now, we're having a conversation, but we're not, right. you know, we're, it's completely over the air. We're not seeing each other. And so I'm wondering, right. you know, how have the dynamics changed? Um, it changes a little bit for sure. Uh, some everyone every uh, now and now and again we have a podcast where we have to use Skype or something else, and the the dynamics are definitely less. Like you you, you get less of personality kind of blending, perhaps even less over talking in VR. Like there's so much of the the contextual the cues, the um, the gestures, the nodding that you can provide. Um, it's really really cool, and and sometimes like. If it, if it accounts for it, the person can actually be able to draw out something like this, a 3D idea that they have. So we had like um, the person from uh, Nathan from Sculptor VR. He was tell, telling us about how he's made this voxel engine and it contains these things called octrees, which are like cubes within cubes within cubes. And so he was he just pulled out a pen tool and started you know drawing these cubes. And, and you can really understand like how this thing scales. Um, but on top of that, like we, we do sometimes talk about the news and we talk about hardware specs and it's great to just be able, able to pull up like the road to VR or upload article and 
and be able to reference the GIF that we're talking about. And and typically I like to have, you know, I put those visuals in the show notes for people to be able to reference. But yeah, I think even though big screen isn't made for podcasting and it's kind of, honestly, it's kind of terrible for it sometimes because there's no like persistent rooms. There's, there's, there's issues that happen. Um, I, I think there's definitely a future where, uh, at least when once headsets become you know available enough and cheap enough, people might use it for reasons that are completely separate from you know the usual VR rhetoric. <laughs> yeah, I've honestly have struggled with wanting to and balancing the um, efficacy and convenience of putting together a show in virtual reality. Like, like hmm. I've been doing this podcast for almost five years now, and I want to say, wow. and I've been struggling with like. Um, you know, finding the the right platform to pull together a, a, a talk show host, a talk show in virtual reality. And, mm-hmm. I, and so I'm wondering, I'm asking for advice now, like, what did you do? Like, you went shopping, I'm sure you saw Altspace, I'm, so, I'm sure you sure. saw VR chat, and, and you, I'm sure you balanced out the pros and cons, and what made you want to go with big screen in the end? Um, I guess it's, it's a little bit more opportunistic than you would hope in terms of, you know, I did my research and I sat down and, and made it made a chart. Um, I think uh, so. I th- we've thought about doing alt space meetups and whatnot. And I think that's still kind of in the question. Uh, I'd say VR chat is definitely up there in terms of um, so the, the, far, the part that really excites me is to be able to actually create your own set and your own environment. And since I've been really involved with photogrammetry, like, I think that could be really cool is to, like, perhaps have people even in my room, like, from where I do my podcasts anyway, <laughs> and perhaps, like, have a live audience and a real show, like, happening in my room in VR chat. I think that could be kind of cool. But I have to look into, like, if there's any kind of real moderating tools to, like, shush people and, and you know, maybe open it up for Q&As afterwards. But um, I would I would love to have a live audience laugh track in the back, you know, like for them not to be able to talk, but they can laugh <laughs> or like react in a way. I don't know. I think that would be that would make a podcast really cool. It would be interesting. Um, I guess how I ended up with using big screen is because I was um, I was actually working with big screen at the time as a contractor. Um, I was helping them with the launch of, of their cinema update and I was like making a trailer and and a few things there, and, and I just was using it a lot. And one of the things I kind of started thinking about is that this could be used for so many things beyond, uh, you know, the VR game, like the co-op gaming that people use it for, or co-movie watching. And I was like, this could be, especially with a video camera that was in there, I was like, I could actually use this to stream the podcast um, and have people just watch it and, and be able to, like, not only see us talking, but also see the links and the videos that we're pulling up kind of like a Joe Rogan, you know, type of experience, but all in VR. And it, I think that still can be cool. But unfortunately, I I stopped doing that after like three or four episodes. I was getting super intense to like both produce and host and also like stay on top of the streams. And it was like, it was, I think, hurting, starting to hurt the quality of like, the conversation that I was trying to have because half my mind was thinking, Oh, is the stream still going or do I need to move the camera? You know, do I need to check the chat? And it's like that sort of strain on your cognitive load can definitely uh, make the conversation suffer a little bit. So for now I'm, yeah, we're back to just kind of recording and then, uh, and then producing afterwards. So, but it's coming. I think that could be really cool. You know, and there's pros and cons to like, to doing it with just recording and just audio because at the you know what uh, 
the pro is you don't have to ask your audience to settle down and you know pay full attention to your video you know they they can mm. do their exercise or can commute to work while they're listening to the podcast mm. but at the same time that ability to put people in like a virtual space where you're there and they're there and they have a more intimate connection to you that right. is invaluable and and so the the thing about it that I definitely want to do it I just haven't found the right platform for it yet and right. I, and, and 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 it looks like big screen still has a bit ways to go to implement things like you know moderator tools and other stuff like that right so yeah I, I think from what I've seen Kent Bai has been doing some meetups in on VR chat as well and he has his own kind of like environment and and so that that might be a you know, kind of a good platform for, for us to be kind of pursuing on, so, but I just haven't done enough real research. Yeah. I'll tell you what I really want to do though, is I want us to create a virtual reality dance crew so that <laughs> I can go out. So it's going to be like a high train express. We're going to go to every club in VR chat and we're just going to go <laughs> dancing. With, it's just all of us just like full body tracking, full and body all, right? tracking you know, you must be wearing a Pokemon avatar and you must, <laughs> and, and you gotta dance and so we're just gonna go clubbing and it's gonna be every every friday night we're gonna it's gonna be the hype train express every club we're we'll go dancing the, in the great thing is that i i have my whole setup uh my, my work setup and my bedroom are all in the same room um obviously because i live in san francisco and real estate costs a lot of money um so i have my room tracking all like it works actually from my bed as well and sometimes i actually just like lie down or sit up in bed and put my headset on and sculpt in medium or whatever. But like, if we're going to be dancing, I can be jumping on the bed and like, you'll see the avatar just bouncing <laughs> up and down and it'll still work. It'll be awesome. You got to join. You have to join. I'm really <laughs> going to do this. I'm really, cause I've been having, you know, and, and people are going to like, I don't know if people are going to complain about this, but I've been talking about this way too much. I love dancing in VR. It's, it should be, it's a thing. It's definitely yeah. a thing. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, no, I, I with that have you would you when you go in like like i'm um, you working in vr like do you have friends that you go into vr with like not not to just podcast but like to hang out right. you know do you, do you uh do you get to play games in vr with friends so um i actually play very little games in vr i i i guess i'm one of the only one of the few users that uses vr mostly as like a professional tool uh half for podcasting and the other half to do uh like photogrammetry work so it's whether i'm like actually building you know vr experience or like environments to be walking around in or actually i use like oculus medium a lot to do um the editing of for of the photogrammetry environment like to be able to really like sculpt the meshes and be able to um clean up some of the the problems that photogrammetry in, introduces sorry i'm using that word it's like not a very commonly known word I, i'm sure I'll, I'll i'll explain it in a second yes, um and but in terms of friends i have actually one friend from college that two friends now that have bought headsets that aren't you know like enthusiasts of the industry or like they aren't connected to the whole vr industry in any way but and they're just like oh it's on sale i'm gonna buy it um i've played star trek with one of them a few times which was really fun and then i the second friend the first day he got it, I, I threw him into Echo Arena, and we met up in there. And he had a good, he had a lo- little bit of fun, but he got nauseous after about twenty or thirty minutes. So it, it, 
like I don't think he's played much with VR after after that since, which is a damn shame because Echo Arena is like one of the best VR experiences I'd say that's out there. Um, but I do hang out with some of my like colleagues and the people that I work with in um, in something called the More, it's the Museum of Other Realities. Oh. Um, it's it's Colin Northway's new. Um, new experience this that he's building. Con- fantastic contraption, the creation. This, this, uh, exactly. Um, this is not a game or a puzzle thing in any sense. This is a social VR art gallery um, that's built of arts and and beautiful interactive little pieces from people that have done it all in VR. So there's a lot of tilt brush art. There's medium work. There's like Liz Edwards, Danny Bittman. Um, uh, VR human, like all the all the people you see on Twitter that are just creating beautiful 3D work, like wow. all their works gets integrated there, and it's it ends up being like a really serene place to just be like playing with interactive art and also just have a conversation with someone. Like it's it's pretty cool that you you know this, that's that idea of being able to go outside and like playing catch with your son, you know, like throwing a baseball. Like it gives your brain just a little bit to do so that you can kind of start pondering and thinking and talking and i think similarly when you have like something interactive in vr and it's social it ends up becoming like a water cooler uh moment where you can have a conversation and it's really cool i'd say that's like what i spend most of my time doing that's fascinating because i you know something that i have been paying a lot of attention to lately is how people design vr environments to promote more sociability or more social interaction, so to speak. Mm. Like, um, you know, there's, there's, there's plain, like there's plain rooms where like, I'll go in VR chat and there's just plain rooms where there's nothing really to do. And, and, and people are kind of quiet, keeping to themselves. And then there's rooms where, you know, there's a bar. And so there's a chance for you to hand someone a drink or Mm. there's a rave and there's a chance for you to hand someone a glow stick and dance with them like those are sort of uh i mean i don't want to say icebreakers or ways to ease into a conversation right a lot of environments are are lacking and so I'm, i'm i'm noticing a lot of these things and i'm learning you know how environments are sort of really really uh not manipulating, but um, definitely they, affecting people. They, yeah, they set the rules, I think, for interaction. And they set the, the rules of even the behavior that you'll have with the, the people that you'll meet in there. You know, whether you'll be more friendly and, and approaching or more aggressive and, like, uh, more tribal, you know, whether it's if it's more of a competi- competitive type of environment, right? If you're playing dodgeball in rec room, like, you're going to be less friendly than you're going to be more <laughs> aggressive and tribal because you're trying to win. Uh, rather than like a dance party where you're just like, it's all love, man, you know, like throwing passing glow sticks around. Um, I think, yeah, that's, that's a really big aspect of, of how we have to think of uh, designing these places. And what, what, what sort of uh, interactions do you want to foster? Um, I think that's a big, big question that, unfortunately, like, I, I think when Altspace, so I guess, yeah, I'm sure we talked about a lot about Altspace the first time. Um, and that that at the time, and back in twenty like fifteen, twenty sixteen, was the only real social VR experience. And since, like, unfortunately, you know, they've kind of got overtaken by a few new apps out there. And 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 the thing I'm trying to, I guess, the point I'm trying to make is that they, at a certain point, weren't fostering like a interactive. Apart from the games that they published in, in some of the rooms, like there wasn't much that the people could. Uh, uh, you know, get fiddle with in the room 
for them to just kind of hang out and not really do much and still kind of have conversations that I, I see a lot in rec room like that happening or in a few other experiences um, where there's just like things you can throw at throw to each other uh, sometimes ends up make like having the biggest difference in engagement. Yeah, the, the the interesting thing about Rec Room is that it's very it's a very clean experience. It's it's seamless. It's it's the UI works really well, and you know it just in yeah. Aside from there being too many kids, sometimes it's like right, it's right. a pretty seamless experience, and and you know it's geared more for me. I love the gameplay, like the fact that they've incorporated a social VR world with solid gameplay, like. I've spent hours playing that rec room paintball, dude. I've been, mm. I've, I've just been destroying little kids, just <laughs> taking, <laughs> just just taking their souls with 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 my paintball guns. It's so cool, like it's so awesome, like and 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 I love hearing um, when they get when they rage quit. That's my favorite thing. That's oh so, my God. It's so satisfying when I hear them rage quit. Like ah, I did you that. Monster. I did that to you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, have you played it since they've added um the smooth locomotion instead of teleport? Did I I did a little bit. I very little. I um I, I How was went, it? I it's actually pretty good. And I went it there was a, actually there was a room in there. People are designing these insane rooms now that more or less are worlds and I went in one and it was basically like a, a wasteland desert that reminded me so much of Burning Man. It just had this expansive mm wasteland desert with all these like art and looking installations and i remember going up to a fortress where they're like all these little kids were like protecting the fortress and i was unarmed and i was waving my arms like hey don't kill me don't kill me i just want to come in but what i really wanted to do is when i wanted to flank them i want to go inside and then grab a, a sword and it just hit them all from from the back and just you know own the fort <laughs> but this kid read right through my intentions he read right through my intentions i don't know if it was my the way i was communicating or my body language but no he's like not having it he's just it was it was the look on your face man bought me with a sword and i died it was it was like <laughs> god damn it but you know the thing about these social space spaces is like you know they have their pros and cons on the one hand you have really solid really good gameplay that comes from rec room but at the same time, from VR chat, you'd have this total freedom to sort of spontaneously explore, uh, you know, worlds and being able to see new interactions and and looking at new avatars. Like that's something that keeps me bringing that keeps me coming back to VR chat. That novelty that is constantly there's constantly someone who's pushing the envelope with their avatars, with their worlds. Right. And it's something cool to see, and 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 and, and they do it. In both directions, they do it in a way where like um, it's amazing, it's inspiring, it's like wow, how did you do that? And sometimes they do it in a way where like you fucking troll, God damn it, do you have to be this racist right now? Like, what the fuck, you know? Like so, and in, in in that spectrum, it's weird because you know I I I kind of you know am self aware that being in the Bay Area, we're kind of in a bubble, and mm. I, and I and I kind of like I kind of want to experience you know the nastiness. Uh, and 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 just sort of like see the reality of humanity for what it is, and I think that VR is a mirror, and it shows and exposes, and it's able to expose us really well. Um, yeah, yeah. I think there's a lot I can I think agree with in that statement, where it's perhaps not even the nastiness of of the of 
the places outside of you know the Silicon Valley or California bubble, but like just just the raw how people think, you know, what what they think about it and yeah. what are the issues that are prevalent in their lives that might not be here. Um, but I think VRChat in a lot of ways like reflects the early days of the Internet in a, in, in a lot of ways. You know how much of a like, kind of a Wild West it was with the sites that you would like be literally like surfing through and, and you're trying to just find value in, in all these different sites and um, VRChat very much has that early, like everyone is trying to ru- kind of rush in and see what can be done and how, and, and it's definitely not curated. It's definitely not, um, well, there are definitely cu- some curation, um, ways out there. There are people curating, but it's, it's a very, um, what am I trying to say here? It, it just mirrors like very early internet websites and, in, in that, and the amount of, <laughs> the how not uniform the design is how uh extreme things can be that you know you don't have the the clean facebook feed the queen the clean twitter and, and instagram feeds uh think of what those looked like what facebook even looked like in 2005 or 2006 that's what i, I think vr chat really is um and that's not a knock by any means i think that's that kind of shows that this is a new stage a new way of um for people, creators to be actually building things that that go beyond major companies that have already established uh, norms and and design press uh, you know preferences and it's it's cool. It feels very fresh. I'd say yeah. Um, if they can you know of course con- control the amount of memes that you can have being shouted at you and th- thrown at you <laughs> like. That's you know, like I think we know the problems that VRChat has and, and the problems that you get from critical mass, and that's what they're experiencing and and going through those growing pains. Um, yeah. But I feel like nobody can have a conversation about VRChat without bringing those up, right? Like, yeah, racism, Ugandan knuckles, and <laughs> honestly, but aside from that, like, I, yeah, let's not concentrate on that. No, but, but but aside from that, like, but here's the thing, like, it's a mirror, and and I've experienced both that. But also at the same time, I've experienced some of the most human moments in my whole entire life. I, mm. I, I will never forget the day where I was, I was, I was, it was like I was, um, I think I was, um, I was, a, I was a bit, I was a bit stoned. And I was, <laughs> and I was, and I was, I was a little bit socially anxious, right? Mm. And so, and so I didn't want to talk to people very much. And I remember being in this like room in this world where it was, it was this world, this room full of flowers, and a robot came up to me and without saying a single word motioned for me to hug them and i did <laughs> and we hugged each other we it, we embraced each other without saying a single word and then we played um rochambeau and then we like and then and but without again without a single word and i remember feeling like like i almost cried dude it was weird like i was like holy shit this person came up to me and started you know treating me like a person and i don't know anything about them i have no idea who they are and in that same second, you know, they were gone, and right. that was one of the that was one of the things that kind of reminded me of an experience like Burning Man, where you go there for seven days, and the art that's there is gonna get burned at the end of the seven days, and you never see that art again. I'll never see that person again. I'll never experience that humane, beautiful moment of being able to hug them in virtual reality. Right. And and, and yeah, and this is what keeps me coming back to VR chat. There's really beautiful people in there that are like looking for something and i don't know what it is but we're all looking for the same thing and 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 maybe it's connection in a new way i don't know it's it's bizarre but but uh, 
but I but I accept the fact that it's not perfect, and and I and 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 I think that because of that, I look into environments a lot to see what is it about an environment that makes it more susceptible to for positive interaction. You know, can can you create environments that are that minimize trolling that are that because they have they use a certain color or they use a certain object or they use a certain design principle, uh, it uh, uh, it makes it so that it's it it's, makes it more awkward for someone to want to be a troll. I don't know. I, I I've honestly been you know looking for patterns and seeing in every room if if, if there are any at all. If there's this, if this is something that can at all be controlled by um, environment because. In the real in the real world, you know, you and I, our environment is sort of controlled by and and has been for the past what two hundred three hundred years since we've had neoliberal envir- uh, governments like you know your your city hall you know that's a that's mm. that's a that's an object that is placed on our environment to represent power and you know your your um, your uh, whatever symbolism you want to think of you know. That, that governments and societies and, and nations put together, they, 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 they shape our environment and therefore they, I think, shape our consciousness a little bit. And so VR chat and VR in general is, is going in that same direction and it, fascin- and it fucking fascinates me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think, again, it, down, it, go, it always goes to like the influence of behavior and, and, and us having this conversation in City Hall, you know, would be very different than us having a conversation in a coffee shop. And, and that environment really dictates what we think. Um, how, well, we actually that environment will not only dictate like what we think is appropriate to talk about, but also it has certain primings for the topics that we'll talk about and, and the things that we'll say and how we'll say it to each other, you know, whether we're being loud or quiet or um, more, je- you know, expressive with our gestures or not. Um, I'm, but I'm curious as to how much of that can translate into VR. I think ideally, you know, it, I'm sure there is a good amount of like influence that you can get from the environment, but um, I don't know how, I mean, I guess you really have to go to the reasons as to why, you know, us talking in the city hall would change our behavior and, and what are we afraid of, right? Why, why would we be talking differently than we would at a coffee shop? Is it because um, we don't want to attract attention to ourselves? Um, well, I guess you can argue the same for a coffee shop, but maybe there's there's certain social consequences that you can find yourself in by doing something that's apart from the norm in, in any of these environments in, in the real world. And, and I don't know if that exists in VR yet. Like, are there social consequences? Perhaps I think with, with what I experienced in the more, like I don't, I don't spend too much time in just general social VR spaces and, and, and this museum of other realities is it's, it's currently unreleased. So, so don't look for it yet. I think it might have a page on steam, but they have like a monthly event for just like in industry people, like other game developers that Colin knows. Um, and it always ends up being a blast and like, cause you know, the people you're going to meet are interesting and friendly and they all have something really interesting to say about VR. Um, and the, the I guess so there's a big social cost there if you're going to, you know, be kind of make an ass of yourself and troll others. Cause like, First of all, those are other pretty like those are people that not only you do you respect, but actually have a good amount of like um, social influence in the in the space, and like you know crossing one person and really leaving a negative uh, <laughs> a negative 
uh, interaction with them could actually be costly to you, both socially and probably professionally for me. Um, so there's, I guess, yeah, there's, you know, we need we need to figure out what those the the, the rules that we're playing with are. You know, what are the the incentives and the um, what's the opposite of incentives? The starts with a D. Uh, like incentives, the consequences, or sure, yeah. Um, I was thinking like the the nuclear, um, death <laughs> death dis- disincentives. Um, I guess yeah. There's a <laughs> French word I'm thinking about, but there's no reason to use it. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that you know those are those are really interesting conversations to have, and and I mean there's very, I guess apart from the internal tests that some of these companies do. There's very few there's there's little data that like people can really read to. I did an interview recently with a social scientist that was doing a pilot study with like women in social VR. Um her name is uh Jessica Outlaw and she did this she did the study and she found out that like a lot of the women that she tested just did not have entirely positive experiences not because like they were like all of them were trolled or whatnot, but like women in strange stranger situations typically tend to approach them in a very cautious way, or even um, sometimes even walk around the group, you know, rather than going through it, just to like not, um, you know, they're just cautious in, in a very uh, fundamental way, and, and that translates into VR. And, and so, how do you, you know, how do you facilitate um, an environment for people to feel safe in and whatnot? And and with, with some of my experiences with, uh, with what I've seen with, you know, the smaller industry, um, like the more events is that I, I see uh, women and women being so totally warm and friendly to each other and approaching each other. But I can, I can also see that in, in a stranger situation, you know, men and women would have totally different reactions. Like I'm pretty gung ho when I go into like even let's say a VR chat where I know I'm, I'm going to meet crazy people are interesting whatever but i'm just like let's go and have, have like i butt into random conversations because you know that's that's the fun thing to do and um there's definitely a lot of people that wouldn't do that and yeah. you know what, what what is what is the value going to be for them in a social uh, environment so yeah i feel like there's going to be sort of um a need to create social environments that are more focused on certain things for example one of the things that like is the cringiest things to watch for me is when dudes hit on girls in vr chat right right it's like it's like, it's like dude and, just... and and sometimes <laughs> like and, and a lot of times the girls aren't into it and and they and like the and the and they and they always and i not they always but like a lot i've seen it where like they keep escalating it and i'm like dude you're yeah just give it up like what are you doing like and You're so, making all of us uncomfortable right it now. Us, like, <laughs> it gives us, it gives men a bad reputation. It makes all of us look bad, you know, because yeah. we're not all like that. And and so I'm wondering, like, maybe we should have a VR social space for just like the OK Cupid of VR. Like, you want to go <laughs> date someone? You want to go meet people but, to go date? Like, there's an OK Cupid of what? VR. There's... What women are going to do that, right? Like, who's going to actively like be in the space? Like, I am here to be hit on, you know. Like, come and hit on, and hit on me. Like, <laughs> there's maybe there's a small number, 
there's there's a small <laughs> number of, of women out there who might I don't know I don't this is why we wanted to try things try, try things out we got to be pragmatic I don't I, I don't know I'm just saying there's a chance I'm just throwing <laughs> shit at the dartboard right now and, and I'm wondering if it'll ever stick uh, and so yeah, yeah I, I'm in that same vein though like I wonder if there will ever be a need for more focused social experiences like if I want to learn a new language maybe I, there's a whole new social VR space for just that. If I want to, you know, and so, and so, yeah, I think, I I think a lot of the behavior that we're trying, like a lot of the desired behavior that we're trying to have people exhibit is like going to be determined by the people around them. And, and, and I guess that's thinking through it is, is yeah, it's rather than just the environment changing your behavior, it's, it's like the reactions of others um, to your behavior is what is really going to dictate. So yeah, if, if like if there's a guy hitting on a girl that clearly doesn't want to talk to in the real world, like um, depending on depending on the situation, you know, there might be other people that might butt in and be like, "Dude, like, you need to back off this girl," or like, you know, there. Uh, it depends on what the situation is, but maybe maybe there's um, we can expect for similar things to happen in VR, and and that like the I'm sure there's a word for it in terms of like a group of people self regulating behavior like a um, self-policing sort of mechanism i guess so yeah and and that's essentially that's the only way you can ensure that you'll have a, a pot like a good community because you can't like rules and 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 software restrictions aren't actually going to like they can only do so much um the real change that you can have in people is going to be from other other people um show not doing that yeah. <laughs> um to, to set examples so yeah, it's such a tough. It's a definitely a tough question, and like I don't know how community managers approach this. You know, at VR Chat or at Rec Room, um, that maybe that's an interesting conversation to be had. Yeah, self policing is another uh, sort of like uh, angle to look at because I had an experience where um, there was a this, we were at the Doki Doki High School, and I was sit I was, I was a student at the class in, in a classroom, and there was a Big Bird from Sesame Street teaching all of us how to cook meth and, <laughs> and, it, and he was so like he's like he was so into it and everybody was listening <laughs> and then some dude came up and he's like hey man there's fucking kids here what are you doing what are you what the fuck is wrong with you and so that's when i left i was like okay this is gonna be this is gonna be some juicy drama happening here but i need to go somewhere else but, yeah the, the, but you, you see what i was there was a, a moment where someone's conscious you know, was like, hey, there's something wrong with this guy teaching people how to cook mm. meth, you know? As soon as someone pointed it out, and that that's when you felt uncomfortable, right? Rather than before where everyone was laughing along and you're like, ah, yes. I don't want to be the odd man out, right? Like somehow this is funny. Let's go along with it. And I mean, yeah. uh, to, to be fair, it probably is funny to a certain extent, but also like it is crossing certain borders that, you know, in certain situations shouldn't be crossed. And yeah, as soon as someone actually steps forward and like, makes that an infringement then it's easier for people to like be like oh right you know he's right it's actually this is bad you know this is <laughs> we shouldn't do that like so don't blame yourself entirely this is all part of the uh the tribal <laughs> so psychology that yeah, we have so I got well caught up in the mob psychology of the if, in, of the the whole experiment you know for because you know at first i was like oh he's joking oh no he's not joking oh shit <laughs> It's like, wait, this guy knows his shit. This is hilarious. And I was like, this is hilarious. I don't know what to do. And then someone stepped up and I was like, oh, okay. Someone someone here is a real 
<laughs> Someone here has real values and morals. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Okay, so you know, in yeah. VR chat, let's. I want to ask you about something that you're an expert in, um, and sure. this is. Uh, so the next question, I'll actually just sort of to switch tracks a, a little bit, switch topics, is I want to ask you, what is the state of photogametry at this point? What does it look like? So let's let me quickly like define what that even means. Yeah, please. Um, I suppose we can. It's it's a similar technology to. Okay, let, let me start over. It's, a, it's I always have trouble with this one. Um, it's a tool that was first made in archaeology. Let's start with that. That starting with like they basically taking photos of a site, lots and lots of photos, lots of overlapping photos with um, let's say a person with a DSLR or even a drone, kind of flying around a site and orbiting the site and taking tons of photos. So using those photos, you can basically um, feed it to a software, like a photogrammetry software that can then look at the photos, go line by line, pixel by pixel, and find all these reference points, and then cross-reference these points, and then figure out the geometry of what you took the photos of, and then reconstruct that geometry down to, like, you know, sub-centimeter accuracy, and then paint that geometry with the colors from the photos. So at the end, what you get is actually a 3D model, a 3D environment of whatever. So that could be an object that you're scanning, or that could be a room, a whole house, hell, even a, a, a city block, a mountain. I mean, that's how all of Google Earth VR is built, is they took photos from satellites and planes and then stitched them together to cre- actually figure out the 3D geometry of the world, and that's what you're flying through. Um, it's not very detailed, obviously, because that would be a ton of, t- a ton of data. Um, and some of the work that I've been doing with photogrammetry is being able to like get, get really detailed environments um both to use as 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 sets and locations for like immersive documentaries um for like game environments for just video production and being able to do set design um before and after the fact um there's there's a lot of really interesting possibilities that open up with this technology um and i think vr and ar is are kind of like built for to be they're almost like meant to photogrammetry is like meant to be viewed in VR because it's um, it's so much better than any sort of stereo three sixty shot can ever get you. It's it's actually volumetric, right? You can walk around in it. You can stand on top of it. You can scale yourself big or small, and like and things could look really cool. So you could technically I can scan my room and like be a midget and then walk around and you know experience what a kid would be like, perhaps, or be really tall and. Um, and see what perspectives that would bring me. Um, so I'm really interested in like a lot of. I'm, I'm a huge history nut. Um, I love listening to like Dan Carlin's Hardcore History, which is an amazing podcast. Um, big inspiration to like explore a little bit, like go as far back as I can. And and I did a big project in Armenia last summer and co-producing it with um, a VR company called Realities IO out of Germany. And they have a pretty popular photogrammetry app on Steam called Realities. So it uh, ends with an I-E-S, like many realities. And um, so Armenia is, is where we went. And that was, I mean, it's probably one of the oldest places in the world in terms of uh, even pre-Armenian history. Like, this is stuff that goes back to the Bronze Age and wow. two to 3,000 BCE. Um, you know, you, ha- you have Neolithic 
sites that that have been excavated and that they found a 5000 year old shoe they found a 4000 year old stonehenge that's built around an entire encampment um i found uh well i didn't find it it's a it's a spot to go to but <laughs> i found a, a a a church that's carved inside of a mountain like inside of a rock cave Whoa. and it's the sound in there is unbelievable. And so these are the places that we actually went to go 3D scan. And these are going to be the sets and locations for this documentary that I'm working on. So, yeah, it's it's a really, really awesome technology that even people in the VR industry, very few, like, are familiar with it or have even, like, used it or tried it. Um, you, can, you can get started with it right now and actually get some okay results. Um, I actually I wrote a tutorial on it because I, of how many questions I get all the time from people like how do you do this like what are, what are your gear what's your software whatever and I'm like here just just read this article on Medium <laughs> um, and it helps people get started with even using like their iPhone camera because it's basically the, the there's nothing too special about the equipment that I'm using it's all just ca- normal cameras with lenses and um, it's the software that can do all the math magic mm. to basically be uh be able to recon uh, um reverse engineer the where the photos were taken from like you don't even need gps data or tracking data it's all computer vision based um and yeah i, I mean it's 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 definitely in, in its early forms and i call it kind of like a early photography phase where you still have light room or you know you still have dark rooms you got to go take the film in there you know, uh, develop it and move around in, in that weird sulfuric water solution and like develop it. And, and you, you're probably going to get it wrong a bunch of the times. Um, but it's, it's, it's a lengthy process, but like, it's such a, um, fruit giving project. Sure Is that the term? Fruitful. 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 Yeah. Fruit giving. <laughs> I, we, we understood. No. And I actually like, um, I've used, an app from Autodesk. They released an app like right. two, three years ago where you could just take photos. You would circle around an object and you and, and so it would take a bunch of photos and then it would stitch it with its algorithm, it would stitch a volumetric representation of it together. And so the question for me going, uh, the next question for me is, um, what's the difference between light fields and photogrammetry? Sure. Um, light field is similar, to more. It's closer, I'd say, to a 360 photo or video because it's a fixed perspective and it's locked to where that camera was. Um, the bad benefit that a light field camera gives you than even a stereo 360 camera is that it basically gives you an entire sphere of a volume that you can move your head through rather than just a point. In that in that space that you can pivot your head around, so that sphere. I mean, they, there's a lot of math. They they basically have cameras taking photos at the the surface of that sphere. So it's like a what what Google did is they had you know those GoPros on a curve and and swiveling around the sphere. So taking photos from the surface of the sphere. But somehow in VR, you can actually when you move your head away from this from the surface and go within the volume of that sphere you can also have those perspectives so they're doing some like that the light field in technology has all to do with like figuring out vectors of light and then tracing that back and being able to like figure out okay if if the camera perspective was from right here what would the perspective from right behind the camera look like and be able to interpolate that and that's how you have like an actual volume that you can move your head through um the the difference with photogrammetry is that 
you don't take you don't do the capture from one specific tripod stand. You actually have to go into every corner of the room and walk around and just take photos from every single perspective that you can of the room um, so that the computer has enough visual information that it can stitch everything together into this geometry. Um, and the added benefit, I think, is that you, with photogrammetry, you have way more you can do with that data now than you can with something like a 364 photo or even a light field. Because light fields, you, guess what? You can only see those in VR or maybe with a computer if you're, if you're using a mouse or something and you can kind of like shift the perspective. But it doesn't make sense to do that at all. Like you, you wouldn't want to do that on a computer. But when you have a 3D model with photogrammetry, like that's something that you can scale down and use in AR. That's something that you could actually have just a camera flying through the environment and recording a video for just normal 2D videos. Um, you can 3D print it and have an actual 3D print of an environment of a place or a person. Like so many interesting things that you can do with it. Um, and it's 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 a very fruitful technology that. Um, we're only now starting to realize the importance of, and so I mean I'm I'm a big fan of light field because it could do you can capture things with light field that you can't with with photogrammetry as in so reflective materials um, things like windows or like really reflective surfaces are terrible uh, they come out really badly in 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 photogrammetry and you have to spend a lot of time editing that because. You can imagine, right, if you're moving the camera and taking the picture of this, uh, like, let's say, glass table that's reflective, yeah. you're going to have different, like, light from each photo. So there's nothing that's consistent about that light table from from all these photos. And so the software is like, I don't know what the hell you're showing me, dude. Here, oh. there's, here's just a blob. So you can imagine that um, uh, with, with certain surfaces, like mirrors, also work pretty badly because it thinks there's actually a room behind the mirror. <laughs> Um, so you kind of have to account for that. So with, with light field, you can, you don't have to worry about those cause it's mostly, it's a photo that it's taking. And then you're, you're, you're just viewing different sets of photos and interpolations of those photos. And, um, it's cool. I think what with the perfect balance can actually be, you can have used both where did, did you try the Google, Google light field demo? I have not yet, but I will okay. now that you've mentioned it. That's basically the only thing that's actually available for consumers right now to actually see like what the hell a light field is. Um, and Google just used their a set of GoPros that they've used for their 360 rigs, and they're like, "Oh, we don't need a you know 200 million dollar funding like Lightro did. We can just use our GoPros and do a lot of the software stuff ourselves." And um, they put out this app, yeah, called Welcome to Lightfields on Steam, and it's it. You know, they give you some kind of a basic demo of what can you can capture with these cameras. Really interesting, um, but there's definitely a limitation where that volume that I'm talking about that you move your head through. Once your head moves past that volume, you just goes to black. Like you can't see. There's only a fixed perspective that you can really have. Um, I think a really interesting crossover with that would be once you move your past you move your head past that sphere, what it should just transition to is just the scan of the room so that there's no, it's a seamless transition between the video to just like the static room and perhaps to going to another fixed light field perspective. Um, like a, it could be a really good transition. So yeah. yeah, that's, that's kind of where we are with the state of volumetric um, video. Like, yeah, Lytro just got acquired apparently by Google. I just read an article that they shut down and a few employees got acquired by Google. 
Yeah, apparently just a few. Like it's not even an aqua hire situation. It's like basically they bought them for like scraps at this point, which is really sad to hear. So do you think Lightfields is like um is is a a is debt is a debt technology or is no, it something no, no, that no. we just haven't found the use case for that's going to have its niche and it's going to dominate in their area? I, I don't know about dominate, but I think I don't think it's dead either by any means. I think it was overvalued, and and Lytra was very good at raising, I guess, money for what they wanted to do. And the array that they built, their their huge camera array, it was like fifty cameras on one panel facing forward, and then they would basically swivel that by like twenty degrees, and then take another photo, and then move it again. So they did a full three hundred and sixty with this fifty camera array. Mm. Um, I mean, I've seen other companies do light field rigs with like with GoPros and and not even like Google. It's just like other companies that can do similar results. And if the end result is just like a movable 360 video, then you know there's a certain there's a trade off of like how much money in production you put into that to the end result being you know if you can get similar results with with a scan environment and like just green screened video overlays in that place, then there's an argument to be made that like your method, like the end result that you're trying to get to is cool, but the method that you're getting there is way too expensive. So I think what we're going to see is Google taking this technology and then opening up the software for people to be able to like use perhaps with their own camera rigs or if they, they might have OEM partners that like ye to like actually build uh, rigs with like 10 different you know action cameras and you use the google software to stitch things and i mean i think the end result is still kind of cool but Lytro's approach i think was a little um a little silicon valley <laughs> ah, silicon valley i like that <laughs> do you um is it if, if someone came up to you and then asked you like is it possible for me as an individual to pay my bills pay my rent just by doing work in photogrammetry right now um maybe maybe i and that's a question i'm asking myself still <laughs> um it's it's i say maybe because there's there's a good amount of overlap with the drone space as well where there's a lot of like drone production companies that you know that's that's all they do is either they're getting hired by real estate companies to go and to do dr- drone videos of the house you know inspections um, or, or they're bringing, they're being brought in as operators for like a, tr- a commercial shoot or a movie. Um, so there's that, that whole industry has also the, the 3d mapping sector where like people are doing geological surveys or house scans. Um, so there, and that, I think that's definitely something that you could, you know, turn into a business. I actually haven't, I'm not able, I haven't been able to like cross into that industry much at all i'm mostly like the people that i work with are are friends that i know within the vr industry that um are willing to explore you know new methods and new narrative techniques and interesting photo you know, photorealistic environments um so the it, it i've also been approached by real estate people which i think that's the that's probably the one of the more obvious um use cases is a lot of you know real estate. They're interested. It's like, can we can we use technology to sell our these houses better, you know, better easily and, and at a higher price? And with certain, there's definitely certain problems that come with with high end real estate because again, they have a lot of reflective surfaces, a lot of white walls, and those 
typically are like the weak points of the technology. And then at that point, you can also bring in a LiDAR scanner and that is kind of fail. Um, it doesn't fail when it comes to those reflective surfaces. So it's, the, I don't know. I, I can't give you a straight answer. I think the answer is maybe, um, and it depends on what you're, what you want to specialize in and how you want to handle, uh, that specialty and, and what you're bringing to the table. Um, so yeah, I'd say that the answer is maybe for now, and then probably yes for for the future. <laughs> yeah, I know, and I think as the web becomes more and more three dimensionalized or more volumetric, I think businesses will start to realize that oh shit, I better have a photogrammetry scan of my net of this house I need to sell or. You know, e-commerce maybe will adopt, uh, 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 you know, like if I want to buy something on Amazon or eBay, now they will put together yep. a 3D model of that object that I can look in every direction. I think um, it's we're definitely still scratching the surface in, ter- in terms of what can be done. You mentioned LiDAR cameras. Where do LiDAR cameras come into the picture in this whole equation? Um, so if you have the money for it, they're definitely a nice tool to have. Um Basically, the LiDAR is very good at the geometry aspect of this this volumetric um, workflow. And and what LiDAR does is it's a tripod. It's basically this unit that sits on a tripod, and then the the unit moves slowly around in 360. And there's a mirror in the middle that's spinning really, really quickly. And it's shooting this laser along um, just all around that unit. And so that plane of laser that's being spun on the mirror is slowly rotating um, until it covers full a full 360-degree rotation. Um, so the end result you get from that one scan is like a really, really accurate geometry uh, using laser of the of the room, um, and then you can move that tripod around a few different spots in the room and get you know the uh, that blind zone that's underneath the tripod. You get that covered and um, some of the other perspectives that the first uh, scan didn't do. So that's that's really cool. And and construction companies have been using it for a while. Um, to get really accurate readings of you know how big this room is and and, and you know you, you, all the things that you can imagine having that data would be useful for. But up until now, it's like you know that those units cost a hundred thousand dollars or something. Wow. Um, and finally, lately, it's like the small the cheapest unit is eighteen thousand dollars from Leica, uh, the BLK three sixty, and it's a cool looking thing. And, and they kind of made it for small realtors and and. Um, and people like my, like me basically, or, or slightly bigger than me, um, for them to be able to, to afford that. So, um, that combined with photogrammetry, you get really, the, the geometry can be done with the LIDAR unit and then the textures, the colors of the space actually can better be captured with a high end DSLR, uh, like the ones that I use. So. Yeah, it's, for now, it's kind of like a mishmash of technologies that you can put together and, and, and to see if you can get the best end result. I, um, I, I don't know if I heard this correctly, but I, I think LiDAR is one of the tools that's being used by the self-driving cars. Like the- yeah, some of them, for sure. Like Google's Waymo uses mm-hmm. LiDAR. Uber, Uber's uh, self-driving car also uses LiDAR. Now um, it makes sense Tesla because... Doesn't. Cars are have a lot of reflective surfaces, like the right. wheels, and oh, nice! I get it. And now. also, night, night. So, the, with, Tesla is all about cameras and radar, and 
because they're they're making a bet that camera computer vision will be good enough uh, moving forward that you don't need to spend again lidar like costing a hundred thousand dollars like the velodyne systems that like waymo uses those are super expensive um yes those will come down in price but like I guess Elon Musk is making the bet that they're not going to come down in price fast enough for for it to be a technology that they can bet to make a twenty thousand dollar car. Um, so that for them, cameras, you know, you can get away with probably ninety to ninety five percent amount of um, environmental conditions. Although I'm not an, I have no idea what I'm talking about. This is stuff that I've read online. I'm not an expert in, in, in that side of things at all. But um, but lidar, yeah, it basically gives you. No matter, I think, what the lighting situation is like, it can give you a real accurate reading as what's around you, whereas cam- cameras can fail depending on, you know, the first, I think, Tesla autopilot crash that happened was because there was a white van driving alongside this Tesla, and the sun was reflecting off the white van, and the cameras just did not pick that up, I guess, oh. and, and and the car slammed into it, and so... Yeah, that's somewhere. That's I think something that perhaps a lidar unit would have detected where the cameras didn't. But yeah, that's that's definitely it's an interesting technology that's now changing from a spinning head to even solid state lidar, which I know even less about. Um, but that's more alongside of something like a camera that could sit without having to spin and and you know shine lasers out. Wow, you know, I am I'm so deep in VR that I'm drawing parallels between HTC Valve and Oculus right. because right. on the one hand, Oculus is using is using cameras and machine vision to uh to to do their tracking, while Vive and Valve are using the lighthouses and the lighthouses are using infrared lasers, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, exactly. So you're right. That one unit is a spinning laser and the other the other system uses cameras. It's, it's it's pretty much the same argument with like self-driving cars using cameras and and spinning lasers. Man, you know, in the right now in the short term, uh, the lighthouse is better. But in the long right. run, when machine machi- machine vision becomes, you know, godlike, then yeah. then then you know, lighthouses are in trouble. Uh, the, um, have you tried any of the all-in-one? Uh, headsets that do you know inside out tracking and they have no um, but i really want to try the vive focus and the level mirage are the two that are going to have inside out tracking coming up and so they're basically yeah they made the same bet that like computer or the computer vision is going to be good enough that you don't need to have an external tracking unit that's sending lasers out and, and finding you in the room um or i guess uh, yeah, if you, if you can see, if you if you can use cameras, then you can get away with a lot more, and you you have less overhead costs. So, um, the the technology is getting good enough, man. Like they they track really really well. And and two years ago when we had our first conversation, you know, the all in one, even just inside out tracking was like a holy grail of VR that could not be achieved. And there might have been you know some whisperings in the research community that someone was able to do some form of it, but like. Now we're at the point where they're like, oh, like we have Windows MR headsets that all work with inside-out tracking. And, oh, we have the all-in-one headsets coming out within the next like six to eight months. And they are just a fully self-contained unit. And, oh. you know, like that's the, – the pace of which things are, I think, moving or is, is slower than we'd hope but quicker than we expect. But it also and, it's highlighting something. It's highlighting that the industry has made a choice in terms of which tracking they want to go with. Sure. The cheaper the cheaper um, tracking, I think, is was usually the 
the one that wins the most. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, cameras cameras are becoming a sensor unit in in more ways than just a you know color grabbing uh, way that we always have thought of cameras to be. Like they're they're now becoming just a very basic form of sensing, um, whether it's movement or position or um, even you know using infrared cameras, you could now uh, you know you're, you're using those for different reasons than you would a normal uh, Kodak camera twenty or thirty years ago. So I think the the reason why people are going towards cameras is because so much so many industries use them already and they've become so cheap and so good now that you could have you know a four K sensor on such a small tiny uh, phone. Uh, that you know, you can get a lot of information from that. That uh, rather than spending you know a couple more million dollars on on some kind of laser, uh, you know, lidar or, or lighthouse kind of system. But you're right. I mean, for now, especially with PCVR, we're gonna uh, the fact that peripherals are a big part of that business of that industry of, of buying gun stocks or buying um, different controllers, different periphery peripheral devices like lighthouse will still make sense for that um, because that that to do that with computer vision is way way more expensive um it's only the oculus santa cruz that i've seen that can do actually the tracking of the controllers using the the cameras that are actually on the headset and and i doubt they can you know track more things or it's it's harder to scale things in that room with cameras rather than um, having two dumb lighthouses that are just you know throwing infrared laser into the room and the sensors themselves picking that those lasers up and figuring out where they are. I think it's more scaled. Yeah, after paying attention to VR for so long, I have to admit that my body is ready for wireless VR. You know, it's, yeah, it's, man, it's about damn time we have some wireless VR. The TP Cast came out with an article. Um, where now they support four-player wireless multiplayer experiences, like that's fucking awesome. Yeah. So I think. It, go ahead. Um, is that I think that like that's a business unit that they're trying to sell. Yes. Which reminds me, um, another question I have for you, I, I ask, I have for you is, um, I have a feeling, I have a thesis that uh currently the, the vr industry is going through the trough of disillusionment yep um and i and and so i'm i'm thinking to myself like what is it going to take for us to leave the trough of disillusionment you know is it going to be something like um ready player one you know coming in and making it you know making vr a little bit more appealable to the masses or is it going to be something wherein it's just going to take time and that's why right. I see the TP cast being uh, being used for arcades as something that I think, you know, like for a while I used to think like, you know, if you want to make if you want to make money for a couple years in VR, start an arcade. But it looks like it's going to be more than a couple years. I got to say, if mm. you're starting a VR arcade right now, like it's a pretty good time still, you know? Yeah, I, I actually like that's that's such a question that I try and understand from some of the interviews that I've done and like try to figure out is actually a, an installation based VR experience like is that profitable or more profitable than trying to do a consumer based product? Um, there's a lot of people in America and even more outside of America that are banking on that, and I don't really know the answer to that question. Um, I think in some places outside of America, it's 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 a good plan and profitable, and because the whole idea that like 
you go to a place to play video games or to do you know certain tech uh, to use certain tech, tech products that you don't have the money to buy at home um, is very popular. Um, whether it's in China or Korea, you know the idea of, of going to a PC bank is is a just a cultural norm that people like teenagers do with guys, girls. Like it doesn't matter; they just go and play PC games together. It's kind of cool, right? Like um, that sort of culture is, did not manifest much in, in America, as far as I can tell. Um, I don't know if it's because like people spend more money on PCs, or I'm not sure what why exactly that is, but. Um, I think it, I mean, I don't know the void with the way the void is doing things could be a good model to try and follow perhaps like, you know, being, putting yourself in already an installation based entertainment spot like Disneyland, you know, you're there already, you're spending money on ridiculous things and, oh, you're probably going to spend another, you know, 20 or $30 on this ridiculously new ride that you become, a, you know, someone in the Star Wars you know, universe with the rest of your family and you're walking around doing Star Warsy things. Um, I think that makes sense. But, like, there's not – there's aren't that many spots to become the next Void. You know, you're not – you're probably not going to have access to that IP and you're not going to be working with Disney. Um so where where's the opportunity for the rest, right? I don't know. I I think maybe if there's certain games that work really well with co-op LAN, you know, with your friends in, in the same room, I think and that become popular, that have a big social media presence, that become memes and actually, you know, be, becoming part of the bigger, grander internet and gaming culture, um, then you have a huge opportunity there. Um, that's how VR chat became big, right? As it was because suddenly memes started emerging from within that space and like people people respond to that people respond to cultural references and that brought them to that critical mass so if you have constant amount of of content being created from users from within a space or within a product then you have that much more of a potential of 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 it becoming a cultural norm for people to go and do yeah there's one thing I know for sure, and the one thing I know is that when you when people get to try VR, it's it's there's no words, there's no image, there's no flat 2D images that can actually bring together that experience the the way you know VR does. And so for that reason, I was thinking about arcades, and also I was thinking about a story. I I had a, a repair person come over and fix my kitchen sink. And I um and, and so he I was in the middle of playing some VR chat and I let him try VR and he was telling <laughs> me how and so this repair person you know he's like holy shit man I, the last time I've tried VR was in 1999 at the Santa Cruz Boardwalk and I was like holy fuck have we gone a long <laughs> way since then man and the thing that stood out to me was he remembers VR from the arcades you know right. And so I'm thinking, like, maybe maybe that's what it's going to take. Maybe it's going to take a lot of, you know, like the blockbuster of VR, you know, popping up in every city, every town where 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 you can go and have these these experiences. And, and it'll probably be, you know, it'll probably be the, the thing that'll, like, ignite the next sort of adoption rate. Because, you know, I have a lot of hopes for the movie Ready Player One, but at the same time... We know, we know that it's all about putting the headset on, and then you realize, right. oh, I get it now. So I don't know. Dude, apparently the movies get is good. 
Can I you heard, believe that? Yeah. I like, heard it's good. I'm, I heard it's good. I'm so happy to hear that. I did not expect – I thought it was just going to be, you know, a silly, like a summer blockbuster type of experience with get average ratings and, you know, maybe people – some people will see it and think it's cool. Some people may write articles that VR is bad and and then it will just kind of go away from the culture. But I think from, yeah, some of the people, you know, st- the fact that Spielberg has, I guess, put his a lot of his love into it has produced something interesting. Um, I haven't seen it yet, but I think it could be – a very positive impact for VR because I mean, just recently it's, it's been getting some blows like the uh, VR hasn't been getting great news lately, perhaps with uh, like people like Lytro and um, some of the other major companies, you know, laying off people and not being able to scale to the same pace that they ex- originally expected to. And, and some of that is, you know, it's, is just bad analysts early on that made ridiculous predictions that no one in the industry actually believed. Sorry, and, everyone. My bad. Yeah, basically. And then all the silly publications that picked up on those, you know, super data analyst numbers are now the ones also reporting, oh, we missed those projections by like 10x or 100x. Um, is VR dead? Um, so it's the people that who actually had realistic expectations are saying that this right now, the pace of things is actually a little bit beyond what they expected the pace to grow. Um, and because of certain like manufacturers jumping into the race that they didn't expect to see, like they didn't like windows MR, I think was a little, um, come came out of left field. And I, when I, when I heard about it, like I actually thought it was a huge step towards adoption. And even though some people were like, Oh, you know, it doesn't have the lighthouse tracking. It's going to suck. And like maybe the, um, the, the tracking is not as good, but like the fact that it's, you can buy one right now for like $200 on sale. Um, and Oh, he also has a lower min spec, um, rating than, than what a vibe and a rift needs. You know, you can actually run it, I think off of an integrated GPU. Really? Um, I'm pretty sure I, I might be wrong about that, but it definitely has a lower minimum, minimum spec requirement than, than rift and vibe. I think, probably the future of, of this industry is going to have to be individual adoption and whether that I most likely that's going to be based off of uh, something that works with your phone. I don't know if it's your fo- you slot your phone in there um, or it's your use. It's using your phone as a processor and a battery to run just the display in your head. That might be one option. And I think AR actually will probably go down that route more than um, something that's con- connected to your PC. Um, because for now, like, the only reason why arcades are, like, the big thing that we're thinking about is uh, is the overhead, co- the capital, right? The initial cost that you need to spend on, on the to get VR is really high. Yes. And, and if you can justify that by arcade spending that money and then you going and just paying $10 or $20 for a session um, – you can justify not spending fifteen hundred or a thousand dollars on a on just VR. So once that price comes down, and it's something it uses your phone, which you already have paid you know five hundred to a thousand dollars to, and the it, the extra thing that you're paying for is only a hundred or two hundred dollars, then I think yeah, I think the the there's going to be very little friction to actually wanting to buy a headset. Um, another really big vertical I see right now is like actually just normal 2D gamers. They they haven't been convinced that VR is something that they need to actually care about and that actually will stay relevant in the gaming industry. They're like, oh, it's another you know we. Um, I think so. There, there's there's things about that that I don't agree with, and and I've already seen some of the the changes that's happening, and especially with with. 
being able to play your PC games in VR by using you know virtual desktop or big screen, there's a huge benefit. I think once you can make the argument that the headset is higher resolution than any display in your room, any display in your TV, anything inside of your house, Bam. you know it's 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 faster refresh rates, which you know gamers are really into. They want to go from 30 FPS to 60 FPS to 140 144 FPS, which game VR headsets already have 90 fps you know that's a, that's uh that's the minimum requirement um oh and you can also argue that they have like hdr capabilities better colors way better like basically the best looking display and oh you get you get to play the games that you already love on a sicker display with like co-op with your friends sitting next to you playing the same game like there's a lot of benefits that vr gives you that aren't even tied to the whole oh, this is a VR game, like, you have to use controllers, like, forget all that, even if you don't want to play a VR game and sweat, like, you can sit down and play your normal games, um, but with much more enjoyment and better quality and, and better graphics than you could with a normal display, so I think that's one big um, rhetoric that I just haven't seen be pushed yet, perhaps because because the headsets aren't better looking than the displays that people have, um, I like, I just bought a, a new 4K 28 inch monitor and it's freaking glorious to like to do any anything on that but last week i got to try out a new unreleased headset called the, the varho display the varzio yeah um, <laughs> yeah right like nobody how knows is that that thing? dude it is so okay so i tried two prototypes the first prototype being uh from last november and which had Steam VR tracking integrated and whatnot, and it was pretty interesting. But the um, uh, the, the new prototype that I tried was they had just come off fresh from their like 3D printer, and, and they had just assembled the, the week before. And so I don't know how much you know about the how they're doing what they're doing, but it's basically they have two different displays inside of this headset. One display that's pretty much identical to what Rift and Vive have, same FOV, same kind of specs, perhaps maybe less screen door effect. But within that display, they have a smaller, like way smaller version that is as big as the fovea of your vision, which is like, you know, 10 to 15 degrees wide. It's the same resolution of the other display, but way denser and smaller and tight, tightly packed. Mm. So that ends up becoming like a super high resolution uh, part of the, the vision that you're seeing. And they do this weird mirror feathering that it all kind of blends, the two screens blend into each other. Wow. So... What you're seeing in front of you, with the, you know, where your eye sees in the most highest resolution, you're getting insane amount of uh, image density. And then the peripheral vision has less pixels, which, quite honestly, you don't really like care as much about anyway. Um, it's definitely, for sure, was not a finished product because they didn't ha- even have the eye tracking in there to do the 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 foveated adjustment of that high resolution part of the screen. That that's like one of their bigger selling selling points. Um, they didn't have the, the tracking integrated in the second prototype, so they were mostly just showing the display. But like it is, it was so cool to stand inside of a room looking at a virtual desktop or a virtual TV on the wall and like being like, wow, that is playing a 4k movie on that TV. And I can tell that that's a 4k movie, you know, like the, the pixels that you see on a display, a virtual display that's further away from you is just as good as you would with a normal TV at that distance in the real world. Um, so it's, 
they were not joking when they're talking about retina level like clarity. Like you can read words, you can read words that are as small as you could in in the real world. No, yeah, and and what? It's I'm serious. Like you could <laughs> maybe there's some variants. I I, I didn't do any like backwards or, or you know I mean any real kind of testing, but like that was my impression is that wow. you can read some you can read some details that you you would be able to in in real life, and the details that you can't read in real life, you probably can't read in there either. Was it a clunky headset? Was it like not bulky and 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 and, and heavy, or, or are uh, they getting down to like it's it's manageable? I would, it's probably a five pro kind of size type, oh. type of thing. It's not like overly huge because that second high resolution display is like they're using mirrors to actually project it onto the first display, and so that I guess I don't know if how much space that'll take but i mean it was slightly bigger but it, the, the second prototype i used it wasn't even didn't have any straps it was kind of on a mount on a desk and like i said it didn't have the steam vr tracking but that's just because they hadn't added it for this prototype um so i have no idea when it's going to come out i it's probably will cost a good amount of money either or two but um i can see once like those headsets or just mainstream, you know, three, four hundred dollars. It costs just as much as a monitor, but you can do so much more with it. Then I think that the argument will, like, the it, the convincing will be done by just itself. Like, there's not as much, like, oh, you can, you have to go out there and evangelize the people that, like, you know, you'll meet amazing people in VR or you'll do things you'll never done. It's like, even if the argument is just for people to buy it as a display. You they'll buy it for that, and then realize all this incredible amount of value that you're they're gaining on top of that. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and you know, and I actually, you, oh, man, I, I, there's so many topics I want to cover with you, and we're starting to run out of time. So, <laughs> so, so before I'll give you another 15 minutes. Okay, so 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 I guess we're gonna have to leave off with the next subject, which is um, a buzzword I kept hearing. I've been hearing a lot for the last month or so has been 5G networks. The 5G network infrastructure is going to affect VR in really positive ways because now it's going to allow for cloud rendering to happen on mobile phones, on mobile VR uh, devices. How far are we away from this? And also, is it is it are they are they selling are they are they overhyping 5G? Because that was the other thing. I was like, man, this sounds almost too good to be true. Like, like, could, right. could we really have, you know, a, a uh, you know, like a fully untethered, oh, fully untethered reality where we have headsets everywhere we go, and 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 they have augmented pass through, rea- augmented reality pass through capabilities as well as VR, and so th- that's exciting to me. And I was wondering yeah. if you have any thoughts on, you know, five G infrastructure that's coming. Um... I don't think I have anything new to add to that because to me it's also a very um, – it's a weird thing that I keep, I keep seeing in conferences over the past like three years, four years now maybe. And it's like I haven't seen deployed over any network yet. So maybe it, at a certain point it's still kind of a pipe dream that for some reason isn't yet – integrated into anything um and apparently there's also like multiple forms of 5g networks and like some that some that are way close range some that are like further uh at bigger wavelengths um i don't know i think that i mean that the potential or the promise of what they're trying to say is is pretty big Uh, i think 5g makes a lot of difference for iot devices 
um, that don't need, you know, Bluetooth, low energy to connect to a phone to actually do what they need to do. Um, and, you know, they're just they're basically small compute units that are connected to a, a node, a, a network node that can, you know, go on for months or maybe even a year or two. Um, I think that's really fascinating. And more on the cloud computing side for VR, like if there's certain things, if there's certain polygons and and levels of detail that you could push to um, a device over the air, then that's pretty interesting. I'm sure you're not going to be doing the head tracking and all the really sub, you know, 10 millisecond or one millisecond latency um, uh, processing in the cloud, because I think that that will just introduce more lag than you need to. And, And if you can dedicate a small amount of, you know, processing on board to do that, then that makes sense. But I can see, you know, if if the latency and the infrastructure is actually there to be able to render huge worlds, huge amounts of detail, um, and and deliver it to you in a seamless way, then hell yeah, all power to to the people that are trying to do that because I think AR will probably benefit from that the most, because, uh, like web AR, right? Like or or things that you don't have to download a specific app that has all the assets already. Uh, downloaded. This, these are things that you'll encounter in the real world as you're going about your day. Um, I think that could be pretty fascinating. Yeah, the only downside to that will be the moment I have my AR glasses and I get ads popping up down to the <laughs> fucking ad block. Need better show up as soon as as soon as possible because I'm not having that. I'm not having. Dude, I've ha- I'm having enough ads in real life. I don't want augmented reality ads in my life. The AR ads will make eye contact with you and look deep <laughs> into your soul, and they will freaking like jump out in front of you when you ignore them too. Like, why are you ignoring me, Chris? Like, look into my eyes and tell me that these eyelashes are beautiful because not by now these, <laughs> you know, these fake eyelashes or whatever. Uh, maybe that's bad targeted uh, advertising because I don't think you care about eyelash advertisements. But um, but maybe you know you're tricking your Facebook profile into thinking that uh, you care about those. Who knows? Yeah, no, and it's gonna get creepier. It's gonna get you know they're gonna get inside your head a little bit better because <sighs> dude, eye tracking is like the hardest thing. I I have like an existential crisis when I when it comes to like. Ta- thinking and talking about eye tracking because as as like a designer i see such incredible tools that it suddenly gives to the user both from a ui and an interaction design perspective and the fact that you can basically have superpowers now with with eye tracking like rather than being a okay just one simple example that toby the the people that build eye trackers inside Vives has shown. Um, it's, it's hard to aim, right? If you have a hatchet in your hand, you're going to throw it at something. It's like you have to be pretty good at aiming. When you have eye tracking, you just look at the thing and you throw in any direction and it just flings and hits that. So imagine that in like a, in a video game where like the eSports version will like, you know, if everyone is playing on the same level level field, playing field with with eye tracking and, and certain guns that you know bend bullets, like imagine the competition and how hard it will get and how good people will get at doing stuff like that. And and I don't even know if it might even be too fast paced for people to watch, but maybe you know Counter Strike Go is also a little too fast to watch. But I, you can imagine the the level of things that will open up to, both in video games. But I'm interested honestly more in like just. Uh, UI design, like 
So Apple uh, acquired a company called iFluence, and iFluence was working on eye tracking for AR and VR. Um, And more importantly, like they had a a huge patent list of stuff that they've invented and created to do to be doing with eyes and one of the things that they really were harking about was was typing and they were like no 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 like up until now people have like tried to do eye tracking typing with like blinks and like winks and whatever and like that's all really unnatural and it tires out your face they somehow made a a, a way that you could show intent through your eyes that you know those are the letters i actually want to type and i'm not just hovering over those um and and it apparently really works like it really really works and I can imagine when you combine eye tracking um, with a mouse and keyboard or with your controllers, you are going to be able to do so many things, um, enhance even the interactions that you have now with mouse and keyboard. Faster than ever before. Way faster and like, and with probably less errors too, because you, you, you're good at showing intent where the computer is dumb and it doesn't particularly know that that's not what you meant to click on, but oh, it knows what you're looking at and you know, that's probably what you want to be drawing attention to. So that, that's the positive side of, of eye tracking. Oh, I didn't, I didn't even talk about, you know, eyes on social avatars and how much that will add to the, the conversations that you'll have, you know, in, in big screen or rec room. Um, but on the, on the opposite end, it's like, holy shit. Like now, now privacy is a hundred percent dead. Like the, the amount of information you're giving to the system and to the, the, the developers is, is the, you're giving them the keys to your soul. Like you're, you're showing them exactly what you like, what you uh, like to look at, how long that will grab your attention, what will actually draw your attention away from that. Um, you know, who are you into? Who are you not into? What are you into? What are you looking at on them? Like, it's and and even if the the developers themselves don't have nefarious reasons, right? They're, if they're not if they're collecting this data but not trying to sell it to like the the highest bidder, um, you have people like Cambridge Analytica that come in with, as a you know third party actor that are kind of sneaky about what they're trying to do, and then they scrape all that data that they're that you have you know so. Uh, voluntarily given to Facebook, and then they use that to spin elections. And so, like, at a certain extent, there's, there's, you know, the intent of the developers and how much they can try and control the the data that they're pulling from you. But then there's all the other people that are trying to do bad things. Yeah. And it's like, what are we doing, man, with eye tracking? Like, <laughs> I want it to happen so badly, but it's also, I almost feel like it's going to be like the end of of all privacy, which. We're kind of past now, so... It's terrifying. You know, on the one end, it's like, oh, shit, we're getting closer and closer to merging with the machines. Like, like it's getting... Like, we're, get, we're, we're becoming more and more machine-like in the way we interact with things. And then, at the same time, you have exactly the ethical concerns behind um, protecting people's data. And the thing that... I think that the thing that people haven't realized quite yet and the moment we do realize this as a society or as individuals, I think we'll be better off. Data is the currency of the 21st century. Right. Right. And people don't know this. And they don't, and they don't see it that way. But it is. And the moment they do, I think we'll start, coming, we'll start taking more ownership of the shit we say. I mean, and, and, and it's not necessarily our fault. All this is so new to us. I mean, social media, when, when, first, when Facebook first came out, I was in college, and I remember, like, how it, I remember, like, how much has evolved 
you know, and I had yeah. no idea what the fuck I was doing. I've posted things I will never, never would ever post now that I know what I know, you know? <laughs> but Dude, let's let's not forget that it was only five years ago in like 2011, 2012, that when the Arab Spring was happening, when, when um, Tunisia was going through their uh, revolutions, when Egypt was going through their regime change, uh, when Syria was starting to boil over, when even uh, Iran was having a huge election fraud issue, um, that's when Twitter and Facebook were like commended as like, oh, like this will bring democracy to the world and to the, the third world nations that now have a voice you know the people have a voice and this is this is the ultimate tool for democracy and it only takes five years for that to completely spin around and be like holy shit our democracy just got fucked because of the tool that we tools that we built and oh like uh, it's funny because social scientists actually have been know about how networks work like they this whole there's a whole science when it comes to networks and nodes on in, in graphs and they know that there's um people kind of flock uh, i forget the term but like people flock together that are similar and that's uh, i'm sure there's like there's a whole terminology for it and like that's what we're, we see with the internet right like you're go you have specific interests you go and pursue those interests you find yourself within those circles and then the information that you get from those circles are obviously skewed towards that interest to 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 advancing that interest and that's all it takes honestly to to have huge amounts of influence over how um, an election an election is held. Yeah. So it's it's just funny that the rhetoric can switch so fast on, on technology from being the best thing for democracy to something that destroys it in the com- country that's like solidifying, trying to solidify it throughout the world. You know, I have to, I have a feeling that we're in the second stage of the Cold War. And that sure. the sure. battlefronts are in the information technology that we use, you know, like the battle lines. That's that's and you know, man. And this is the fucked up thing. I um I remember when the uh, the school shootings in Florida happened, and I remember scrolling through Twitter, and I remember seeing a lot of posts. Actually, most of the, a lot of posts were 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 pointing at the gunman being a disgruntled Latino kid. Mm. And, 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 and for the longest time, you know, I believed it. I believed it. But it turns out these were Russian bots that were trying to, like, <laughs> get people to, like... Because, again, yeah. this is, we're, we're in a very, very strange and scary sort of era where we have to become one nation before we realize... You know, we have to like we have to be united against this new sort of like tactic that is being used against yeah. us. You know, and it, I, and I have no fucking clue, no fucking clue how to like go about doing this the proper way. But all I know is that right now we're in the second stage of the Cold War, and that we're being manipulated, and we're being the, and, and information is being used to divide us. Dude, it's it's so crazy. Like to see. Yeah, I guess to see Russia. By the way, it's not just um, uh, like alt right trolling that they're doing in terms of like posing as as people on the alt right or, or you know. And, well, their whole strategy doing... is they fund both sides. Exactly, like they, fund they even both extremes finally... of both sides so that you can right. divide the, the divide and conquer. This yeah, is they're just this like is let's all cause riots. And and it's unbelievable that like just in twenty years you have the USSR from falling, or I guess thirty years now from from completely dissolving to like suddenly them 
catching up and then like realizing the the things that actually brought down the USSR, right? The 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 blue jeans, the porn, and the freedom, the the radio, you know, all those like the things that were being pushed on as these are the freedoms that you are missing out on and being in a communist nation. They used that exactly like against the people that built it in only a twenty to thirty years, and they figured out that like oh that freedoms and on all the freedom of 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 opinion that you can you now have over the internet we can actually spin that and actually <laughs> cause more discord and or di- more disarray in your society and and change the course of your entire country like it's it's kind of hilariously ironic in a sense like if i wasn't living in america i would kind of be like like sitting back and laughing at it and just being like, oh, you know, the irony of, of history kind of repeating itself. And, and it's like Dan Carlin, I'm sure, gets a kick out of that. But like, you know, being in the thick of it all, it's like, fuck, <laughs> like, this is crazy, man. Yeah, no, we're in the I keep reading Reddit comments that say we're in the darkest of all the timelines. <laughs> but listen, I don't have anything against you know, Russian people. I love Russian people. I run into Russian people in VR chat who hand me vodka all the time. Dude, Russians are great, man. They're, they're some of my fa- like some of my my favorite people that I totally relate to. Like they're just simple, hard, like funny people that I can like culturally also relate to, like being Armenian and and like them as people like have no nefarious things against america like they they love america it just obviously like at this at a certain point we're talking about politics like governments um fighting each other and 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 the the tactics that they use to get their interests across right it's not it's never the people it's almost never the people but it's the people that end up suffering when you have sanctions you know it's the the iranian people or the north korean people that that um actually suffer rather than the the russian oligarchs that are being sanctioned themselves they have enough money they don't care like so anyway, um, it's, it's a, I'm not a, a. It's a scary world we're in, and sorry, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, I'm, I'm not. A, I was going to say I'm not a political uh, commentator, and I everything I, that I, I was talking about are just regurgitations of people that I respect um, <laughs> and their opinions that I've taken. So, well, and this yeah. is the world we're in, and I think I'm still hopeful. I think things will turn out okay. You know, because if I weren't hopeful, then I, I wouldn't be doing a podcast about virtual reality. You know, you have to sure. be somewhat hopeful about the future when you're doing something like this. And I think I think things will will work themselves out. I think the system will find a balance and equilibrium that we're out of right now. And yeah, I am. I'm pretty I'm, I'm, I'm pretty um, hopeful that America is going to, you know, get through this just fine. But agreed. Right now, it's just it's just a little weird. It's just a little weird right now. <laughs> good, good to I want to close things off right now. It's been a pleasure. Holy moly, I've learned so much from you today. And I can keep going on forever. But I know you have many, many things to do with your life. So how do people stay in touch? How can they follow what you're doing these days? Um, you can find me on Twitter, where I'm probably active the most, at... At uh, Azad Ducks, and so that's A Z A D U X. So uh, that's my name and my company's name. Um, and then you can find my podcast at the Research VR Cast on Twitter, and you can probably just find the website um, the research, just Research VR Podcast. Um, and we're on iTunes and you know all everywhere you can find podcasts at. So um, yeah, you can uh, find me at there. And if you're interested in photogrammetry and all the things that I'm talking about, uh, check out my YouTube page. I uh, it's just my name, Oz Balabanian. Um, you can see how it's spelled in the <laughs> in the description or the title of this podcast. 
Um, and I post uh, a lot of my photogrammetry work there. And I actually did a 30 day challenge where every day I was like basically pre- having to find like scout capture produce and publish a photogrammetry scan which is a lot to do in one day for for like 30 days and then on the weekends i was doing a weekly wrap-up video where i was talking about how i did these places how i got there the stories of like some of the encounters that i had and and the hardships that you kind of have to like battle through um and so it's a really good educational resource for anyone that like wants to know about the the specifics of how this shit goes down so um yeah find me on all those channels and um and re- feel free to reach out to me i'm happy i'm super happy to talk about any of the subjects that i talked about here i'm very i try to be accessible because i mean my actually my beginnings in this industry was also through a twitter dm like to a google designer and the dude was so nice manuel clement like he's one of the senior ux designers on the google daydream team now he worked on the on the google self-driving car and like the dude is brilliant and like he just responded to my twitter dm one day and it was like yeah let's have coffee like let's 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 chat and i was still in college and like i love that aspect about like the the industry that i work in and the, the some of the people here and and i try to you know reverse uh, i try to be as accessible to others as well That's um amazing. Yeah. thank you so much for being a true scholar and as always you're <laughs> a true scholar and gentleman of virtual reality um i'm gonna make sure i include all the links in the show notes and i will see you fellow traveler of the metaverse sometime in the future in this simulation we're in <laughs> thank you chris and yeah i'll see you next time